Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Strumsky. Crypto. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last four years, you've heard of cryptocurrency. It might have been from your cousin Sid trying to explain the blockchain at Thanksgiving. Possibly, your favorite celebrity was promoting a crypto coin on Instagram. Or, you heard your friends made money with Dogecoin during COVID. Personally, the first time I heard about Bitcoin, I was taking too long to graduate from college. If I had taken some time to read more into the details of blockchain, maybe I would have taken a different path or invested earlier on. That's why my guest Alex Leishman, CEO of River Financial, is more interesting than me. Alex has been hooked on Bitcoin since 2013. His company only focuses on Bitcoin financial services, and their Lightning Network is essential for the Bitcoin wallets supplied to citizens in El Salvador. Enjoy. Today I have with me is Alex Leishman. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great. Good. Me and Alex go way back. Uh, you, I, I didn't mention this before the interview, but you'll never guess who I looked up. Uh, like maybe like three days ago, I looked up uh, Coach Nutter. Do you remember? You know like, I think about him a lot. <laughs> do you? I do. He was <laughs> such a great guy. He he pushed us. Um, I think about I think about him a lot and how much I appreciated him. You know what? I was thinking about like uh, messaging him. Do you? The the one funny thing I always remember he used. Do you remember what he used to say to RJ Hackley? Like when he used to run to first base. No, you could always tell him to drop the refrigerator. And oh, that's for right. some reason I had, <laughs> for some reason I had never heard that before and it stuck with me. I don't know why, but yeah, but the reason you remember him is because he had that stare. You know what I mean? And he used to call you Leishman too, just like me. Call you yeah. call you Stromsky, yeah. He called me Leishman and he was he was hard but fair. I oh, never yeah. felt like he did anything out of meanness. He was tough, but fair. Oh, yeah. And that's why I didn't make it a uh, sophomore year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is an assistant principal now. Uh, maybe like Northwest. Yeah. I, I don't But when you look at his photo, you think like, like, that can't be him. But it's like, what has it been like? Uh, Years. Like tw- Yeah, it's been like. Tw- I don't even want 20, maybe 15, not 20 in between like 15 and 20, I think. Yeah. I think I looked it up specifically for this interview because I remembered and <laughs> it's just funny how such a small period and, a, and like one person has effect on your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really funny. You bring him up. Yeah. I've been, I've been meaning to reach out to him over the years. I, I really should just send him an email. You should just, I mean, it's, I it's, it's I easy enough. M- MCPS Nutter. That's how yeah. you find him. Great. Awesome. So Alex, what what do you currently do? I run a company. I founded a, a company called River Financial, river.com. Uh, we're, the easiest way to think about us is like a Bitcoin bank. So our mission is to accelerate Bitcoin's adoption as a store of value, a, a, a good money that you can store your wealth um, and, and a medium of exchange, a, a good way to transact over the internet. So we build products for consumers in the United States to help them uh, buy and save and, and use their Bitcoin. And then we have a, a payments business that builds infrastructure that makes it easy for businesses around the world to um, 
to accept and transact in Bitcoin. Just to show the the ease of use, what would you compare that to like like a digital gold or when you say payments, kind of like a like a Venmo or something like that? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when when you know you talk about this broader concept of what is money, right? What makes what's good money? Um, you know, good money has a few characteristics and 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 a few main uses in a society. Um good money is 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 a good place to to store your wealth, right? It's a it, you know, if you have good money, it means that you can put your savings in it and um, you're not going to lose the value quickly over time. Um, if it's a good medium of exchange, it means it's something that's broadly accepted that you can use to, to buy things um, you can use in commerce. And so um, now Bitcoin is, is, is much newer and much smaller than the U.S. dollar, which is a, you know, much, a much better medium of exchange currently. And um, many, many more people and institutions used to save um, use the dollar to save and they use Bitcoin. Our mission is to, is to, is to grow the amount of people and grow the usefulness of Bitcoin um, for these purposes. And uh, in the last few years, that's that adoption has grown quickly. And the reason that um, a lot of people are adopting Bitcoin quickly is because it has certain properties that government printed money doesn't. Um, one of the big ones is the government can't print more of it. And over the last few years, people have realized what happens when the government prints a lot of money. Uh, things get very expensive. Their savings start to melt. Uh, all of a sudden, this you know, uh, $10,000 you had saved in your bank account five years ago doesn't really feel like the same uh, amount of wealth anymore. The number is the same, but what it buys you is a lot different. And, um, and so for, for that reason, uh, more and more people, that's one of the reasons more and more people are, are, are looking at Bitcoin as an alternative. So let's talk about your first impression of Bitcoin. I know you said that back in 2013 is basically the first time you thought you've heard about it. Yeah. So, and how did that steer your career? Let's put it that way too. So I, I see, I graduated college in 2012. Um, I was an aerospace engineering student. So I was, I was originally planning to go into, you know, the, the aerospace field, either work on airplanes or rockets or something like that. Um, but during college, actually, I got really interested in, you know, on a, on a tangent, actually, and on my free time, I started going down the economics rabbit hole. And then that led me into this, this concept of, of what is money? I got really interested in money, not, not just making money, but understanding like what this thing was, right? It's something a lot of people take for granted. It's like religion, right? Um, you're kind of born into a religion. And you go along with it, right? It's it's just what you know. It's what it's what you grew up with. It's a tradition. And money is kind of like that too. We were just sort of born, you know. The dollar is money, right? Um, it's that simple. Well, I started dig going deeper and and sort of st studying the history of what money is, um, why things work the way it does. Why does the government get to just decide how much money to print? Why why is that? You know, we have a free market, you know, capitalist society. But the government can just do whatever it wants with money. That's interesting. Um, and I started digging into the like, you know, the whys of this stuff. Why is it like this? And I came to the conclusion that um, there were better ways to do money. There was there was better money that could exist, and I wanted to figure out a way to create it. And so, uh, so I actually had this idea of creating my own private currency that that, that outside of the control of the government um, when I was in college. And um, I didn't actually know how to execute on that. I, uh, you know, it was it was more just an idea than it was I had a hard plan. 
And then I came across Bitcoin um, the, a year after I graduated. I had the sort of framework to reason about this and how this can fit into society from all of my learning in college. And um, it, it clicked. The minute I the minute I realized that this thing sort of wasn't just going to be bro broken or hacked, I, I knew it was going to change the world. And I knew I had to work on it. Um, and so in, at the end of 2013, I moved to San Francisco with the goal of being a Bitcoin engineer. And that's basically what I've been doing since. Do you think, and I'm going to pull something from another interview I heard, you mentioned that your dad read you The Richest Man in Babylon when you were a child. By the way, I didn't get an age on that because that's pretty, uh, that's a pretty high-end book for, was it like teenager or child? I was a teenager. I wasn't, okay. I wasn't like, a, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. years old. I was a teenager. Do you think that might have spurred it? Obviously, not just the book, but it sounds like your dad was trying to maybe like 80% better than most kids had at our age. Because you know how, like, I I mean, I, I don't watch like Instagram and TikTok and all of this, but people are talking about like, oh, I don't know how to like manage my money. I don't know what a 401, you know how everyone's not financially capable when like most of these people, when they come out, did you feel like your dad was kind of prepping you? And that's why you kind of had that mind back when you came out. I think that was definitely a big factor. You know, I, I grew up listening to a lot of talk radio in the car, whether I liked it or not. NPR? NPR, uh, right? No, no, uh, quite the opposite, really. But, you know, some, some of that was some of that was political. Some of that was um, was uh, financial. So like there were there were shows like Rick Edelman um, and shows like that about, you know, where people would call in and uh, be like, you know, here, you know, I, I make this much money. I have this much debt and um, I want to buy uh you know a two thousand dollar um diamond ring can i afford it yeah, and yeah. Would analyze their financial situation and sometimes it was like of course you can't afford it or sometimes like you know actually yeah, yeah. you can afford this and those like i think that was, <laughs> that was those were like really good things to be exposed to as a yeah guy. yeah like i lost my pension what do i do <laughs> yes yeah I, exactly yeah. yeah it was kind of like the jerry springer but economic version exactly yeah it was like jerry springer for your uh checkbook yeah. Uh, and the funny thing is, I just started listening to uh, Psychology of Money in the Car. And it was just like, one chapter was talking about like the fear, like you got to put the fear in yourself, like, always think about your money and how you're going to basically slowly take it out and stuff like this. And I was like, yeah, that's how I feel like you have to have a little bit of fear in you to always be ready and stuff. And Bitcoin is like the biggest example. It's the digital store of money long term. And you yeah. know, it's the uh, it's the it's the first what I would say property right that doesn't require that's enforced by math and not a government. Um, it's 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 the first time in in history you can own something, uh, and that ownership isn't um, isn't blessed by a government, right? If you think about everything else in your life, your house, the money in your bank account, any stocks you own. All of these things are require require the state to protect that and 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 bless that and, and frankly you're exposed if the state does decide they don't like you or there's some reason they want you to not have, own those things you don't really have any recourse. Bitcoin is 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 purely uh, enforced by your ownership of a of a number, uh, you having the secret number that allows you to move your Bitcoin around. And it doesn't require an army. It doesn't require a government. Um, and a government can't take that from you. So uh, it's 
it's a very fascinating thing that's going to have a lot of implications for the world. And just to make a note, because I think all the, the non-technical people listening are basically like, what about all that stuff in the news? But that that's a completely different story because that's a third party holding all of your Bitcoin and all your cryptocurrencies, correct? Exactly. And and that's like that's like um having it's the difference between having cash under your mattress and having cash at a bank, right? If someone robs the bank, your money's gone. But if if you have it at home and someone robs the bank, they can't st steal it. So in effect, in effect, people gave their their Bitcoin to to FTX or you know this exchange, and he ran off with it. Um, they if the, the people who uh, bought Bitcoin there and then moved it to their own control didn't have any issues. Let, let's start talking about your own company. So basically you started in January, 2019. So if anybody has forgotten, the COVID started end of March, 2019. So that must've been super hectic. 2020 actually, it was a year later. Was it 2020? I thought yeah. it was 2019. Was See, yeah. there's an example right there. Yeah, it was a year later, but still it, it certainly was hectic. It's uh, it's been a very fascinating four years to run a run a company. Uh I've I've had to learn a lot very fast. And there's a hum there's something humbling and you know, you your your life is different when people re are relying on you to make the right decisions so that they can, you know, feed their families and, and they get paid and um and that you learn the soft skills of being like a, a CEO, right? Like you because yeah. I've looked at your background. You're, I mean, you're you're heavy in the crypto coding. You know it in and out the security stuff like that. But did you like payroll? You learned HR, like all this other different back like back end stuff, right? That you hadn't even thought about. Yeah, I mean, I knew some of the basics because I, you know, I, I tried to pick take other little pick up tidbits here and there. I'd watch a lot of business stuff, or I took accounting in college just for fun. And but and, and you know, honestly, the reality is these days there's a lot of good tools that make that stuff real easy. Um, especially, you know, if for, if you're a smaller company that, but I have had to learn a lot of soft skills and, you know, building a, building a company is, um, you're, you're building a culture, you're building a team, you know, you're, you're, you're solving this age old problem of how do you orchestrate a group of people to accomplish an objective? And it sounds like a simple task, but it's actually very non-trivial. And yeah, you know, I've had to learn uh, a lot of lessons. Some, sometimes I'll learn them the easy way. Sometimes I'll learn them the hard way. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a fascinating journey. Our company is about forty people today. Um, our business is going well, especially relatively to a lot of other people in this industry. Uh, thanks to I think the culture we built of being very careful and conservative and um, not taking these the financial risks that a lot of other companies in our industry did take. Um, for example, uh, at, at River, when people buy Bitcoin from us, uh, we keep their Bitcoin one to one. Uh, in our custody. Um, and if they ever want to, and we encourage people, if you buy Bitcoin from us, take it, take it into your own custody, hold it yourself. But if you do keep it with us, we don't do any funny business with it. For every Bitcoin a customer has at River at River in their account, we have a Bitcoin in our in our vault. And so if every single one of our clients took their Bitcoin out tomorrow, there'd be no issues. A lot of other companies in this industry were starting to play, do funny business with people's money. And this is how the traditional banking system works. They said, well, we don't need to have all the Bitcoin. Maybe we only need to have 50%. No one's going to withdraw it that fast. Um, so we can take this, we can take some of it and put it over here and try and make money with it and trade it and give it to other people to earn interest. And what ended up happening was 
these other places that they were giving this Bitcoin to went bankrupt. And all of a sudden, Three Arrow, is that right? Well, that was one of them. It was actually like a chain. Well, and this is what happens, right? When you start to do this stuff is all it, it, it all becomes super entwined, like intertwined. Yeah. And it, it becomes a cascading failure. It's lots of different institutions. Or dominoes. Probably dominoes is probably the best way to describe it. Exactly. And the reason that you don't see this happening as much in the banking system is because the government says, we'll step in if this stuff starts to happen. We'll print more money if we have to and make sure that people can withdraw their money from banks. So they sort of bless the bankers with like, a, we're going to regulate you a lot, but um, we'll also bail you out if you mess up. We'll socialize those losses on the entire country if you make a mistake. That's all 2008, right? <laughs> exactly. And so it creates a moral hazard, right? Bankers get rewarded by their bonuses and how much they succeed. But if they, insofar as they fail, well, society pays that cost, right? So it's not really capitalism. It's a crony, you know, sort of, sort of pseudo alt, like monopolistic system. Yeah. But with Bitcoin, the government can't print more Bitcoin. So if you fail as a company, it's, it's over, it's game over for you and your customers and they shouldn't have trusted you. So this creates a different kind of system. This creates a system where, where customers are a lot smarter. They're a lot more um, careful and they with who they're giving their money to. Uh, and they're they're really diving deep into the risks of any company they decide to use. So what ends up happening is you you actually, the end state, I believe, is going to be much more trustworthy institutions because these institutions don't have the luxury of doing any funny business. Because if they do, they know it's going to be game over. And uh, and so I like to describe our company as a company you can trust, but you don't have to. Um, you know, we we because you can take your money out at any given time, and we know that we operate knowing that can happen and that 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 will happen in certain market conditions. Um, it keeps us honest. Um, even if I go away, the person who replaces me, even if they they don't have some really strong moral sense, they know just from a out of pure economic selfishness. Uh, you have to be trustworthy in this industry or you're just going to go under. I'm, I'm trying to think about how I want to structure this because I want to talk about your work in El Salvador with all the Bitcoin and the Chivo wallets and stuff like that. But I wanted to talk about what's your opinion on... So I've always thought that Bitcoin is just going to get more popular just as we... This is going to sound horrible, but phase out the old people who are less savvy on a technical aspect, just because you have all these millennials, especially, I mean, from our day and era where Facebook was invented, you know what the AOL sound sounds like. Do you think transition the old people to the old people homes and basically we're in our 40s and then people from, you know, like people who are majority of the population starts to be like more than 50% is tech savvy. Do you think that's a huge, I feel like that's going to be a huge push towards crypto because at least they'll somehow comprehend the aspects of it and the value. Do you, what's your opinion on that? I think, I think that's largely true. If you, now there are some older folks that really do get it. And a lot of the people who tend to get it, regardless of age, come from a, um, have a background somewhere in their lineage where the government did something to them. Um, and they don't really trust the government. Uh, that was sort of like the first wave of Bitcoiners. The can second, I wave can I have one little tidbit? Because yeah. there's something from an interview I'm going to forget that you said, but your great grandfather got his gold repossessed. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. 
Franklin Roosevelt, you know, it's funny, right? And, and we learned that we have the history classes in school tell us, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, he's like the best president ever. He gave free stuff to everybody, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, my lesson growing up from my grandmother was Franklin Roosevelt was one of the worst presidents we've ever had. He confiscated my father's gold, who was a hardworking immigrant shopkeeper, uh, you know, in Pittsburgh and um, uh, under executive order 6102, uh, because the federal government was running out of gold, they made it illegal to uh, own privately over a certain amount of gold. And most people didn't actually have their gold confiscated. My great grandfather was one of these, I guess, exceptions to the rule that felt as an immigrant, he wanted to be honest and follow the law and ended up getting scammed by the government. And um, and so the lessons I learned about FDR and, and at home were a lot different. Um, so so yeah, that was a- Have you read Have you read Holes before? You know, the, the book? I, I don't know if I read it. I saw the movie though. Stanley Yelnads, his great grandfather basically had gold. So do you feel like taking back Bitcoin is your type of digital goal that you're entitled to? Well, it's it's not so much this is like revenge or something where we're getting the family gold back. And I don't even think it was. It's not. I like know. I'm JP just Morgan money. It was. Ugh. It was more like just that lesson, right? That like, oh, like this thing that doesn't always work for you. Sometimes it works against you. Like the government can come. You know, the state. You know, is not just this pure force for good. There was just a culture in my family in general of you know, you can only rely on yourself at the end of the day in your family. Like the government is just a, is, you can't trust it. Um, it will, it's just a thing, right? It's the result of just these emergent societal forces. It will sometimes be good, sometimes be bad. You have to, you know, you have to take ownership of your life. And for me, like this idea of that thing, having control over our money and everyone's livelihoods always made me uncomfortable. And so Bitcoin for me was like, wow, this is how we, this is how we change things. And, um, and so, yeah. So that's, I think, the sort of cultural background. Um, I think, what were we talking about? Um, yeah. So no, you had a good train of thought going. It was a good, it was a good, uh, good question. Um, it is, it is important context. Um, I think my family background is actually like decent. I don't know. I think my home was a bit different than a lot of culturally than a lot of people in our areas, um, which definitely sort of played a role in sort of how I per perceived the world. But, um, uh, but yeah, um, no, I think I think if you look at things right, if you look at the younger generation, they they like especially even kids kids in college today, like they probably don't remember a world without Bitcoin, right? And so that's fascinating. Like I think our generation, we still remember when like the internet wasn't really quite there, right? Uh, we remember a world like we're of like very nascent internet. Like it was it was not um it was not universal it was not everywhere it was like you had to look you had to wait for a page to load nowadays it's like a blink of an eye so yeah, yeah like i got really excited when i was six or seven and we got a printer and i could print pictures of pokemon at home and it took like 10 minutes to download a photo of a pokemon right and nowadays you can go down to the corner of the block and catch one you know what i mean exactly like yeah like, man, these kids don't know i had to wait 10 minutes just to print one out now they're catching them on every corner but and so so you know but so yeah so like the 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 young people today don't even remember a world without bitcoin and so to them it's like it's like we grew up where a, it's just normal a dollar is money like yeah like why would you ever question that that's just like you never questioned that growing up um and, and and we're sort of entering this similar era for the the a generation coming into the professional world where this generation yeah bitcoin yeah money like yeah like yeah before i could have was old enough to have a credit card uh, I was earning Bitcoin online for like doing things, right? That, you know, my parents didn't know about it. And that's how I bought a fake ID. And this, that's how I, you know, 
uh, you know, that's how I got around the system before I was old enough. Right. And, um, and that's, it's fascinating. So a couple of things I just want to note about Bitcoin, just for all the older audience, I wanted to notch this out because my dad is, how old is he now? Like 75. And he's like, you know, I saw Bitcoin at the gas station. I can buy it. And then like literally at dinner today, he was like, can you buy less than a Bitcoin? So I just wanted to notch a couple of these out for everyone listening who doesn't know. Yes, you can buy partials of Bitcoins Two. It's not some dark internet type thing. All transactions are recorded. Like anybody can see transactions from your address. It's actually more open than it is banking systems. So people know that. And the other thing I think is amazing that people don't stress enough is it's universal. You can, you can make payments at 1 a.m. You can send money across the globe. You're not going through, you're not going down to the gas station to send a money payment to someone in San Juan or China or anything like that. You can send it in almost instantaneous. Yeah. And I feel like those are the big things that people need to know. Those three are pretty good points. Do you have any good points that attach to that? I mean, I, I think you did a great job summing it up. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think one of the common things I hear from people who haven't really looked into it deeply is, you know, they heard something about a bad person using it or someone getting hacked or things like that. But, but, you know, if you stop to think for a second, right, banks get robbed all the time. Uh, uh, drug cartels launder money through HSBC. Um, nobody stops to go, we need to not use dollars, right? Nobody goes, we need to stop the banking system. So Bitcoin is just one of these things as it grows and becomes more and more useful, you will hear stories of negative stories, right? But that's that's simply a result of it becoming much more mainstream and everyone using it. Um, it was similar when we were kids and it was like the internet was getting big. You know, there were all these 60 minute stories. Your kid's gonna get kidnapped on the internet. You need to like lock the computer up or your kid's going to go missing, right? It was, it's like, it, you know, see, it's, we're kind of in that phase of things where people don't yet know how to reason about it and they're a little scared of it. And it's good, it's good, gets eyeballs in the news. That's, that's the other thing. Like, like we talked about before, I, I interviewed uh, Lou Montulli, the cookies guy. And it's so funny how much cookies affects old people, because if they don't turn off cookies, some people, they, they see like whatever they're, they're uh, like searching, like, oh, I've got, like liver cancer, or I've got like all this other stuff. And they think that the internet is trying to help them with this in their, their side ads and all this stuff. And it's just like making them paranoid. And I'm just so worried, but that's why it's good when they go to the home, they restrict their internet access. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's, but you know, all, there, there's unintended consequences of, of every, of every technology um, and every generation has their own struggle with it. Another note I wanted to add on to yours that, I mean, Bernie Madoff, I mean, huge pyramid scheme and like, no matter what infrastructure, fiscal system, monetary, there's going to be like shysters. I mean, people want to cut the line. People want to like, it's not a, it's not a crypto thing. And, but I think it's just taking its lashings now, just like any new system that's coming in, you're going to get it from the big guys. Yeah. Like that's, that's essential because you're, you're cutting out a a chunk of their revenue you're you're taking away their market cap yeah yeah i mean you're and 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 you know I, i'm i'm relatively involved in sort of federal politics and um 
you see the money, you know, right? Like, you know, like, for example, like this, this whole concept completely threatens Western Union's business model, right? Um, uh, and ba banking in general, right? They're, they're skeptical of it, not even necessarily because they've really thought through it all. Some of them have. Um, and frankly, a lot of the bankers who have really thought through them all have just left banking and gone into Bitcoin. But um, but it, it threatens their model, right? If you think about the banking system, um, it's actually kind of absurd. Uh, you know, your paycheck goes every two weeks to what I what I call it. it, it banks are, are just leveraged credit funds, right? Banks are just um, uh, investment funds. They take your money and they lend it out to people to do risky things with and um, keep a little bit around so that you can, you know, do what you need. And it's, it's wild to me that we've normalized. That's, that's where you keep your life savings in that your paycheck goes to that. Um, we have this whole industry capture our society in a way uh, we don't really see it. Um, but uh, I think Bitcoin's going to, you know, get people thinking differently about how the world works. I just want to be full circle. You got to give me some negatives on Bitcoin. Totally. There's a lot. There's a lot of negatives. Um, for one, it's new, right? It's uh, it hasn't had time to mature like a lot of other technology or systems we use. So, you know, even if your employer tomorrow was like, "Hey, I'm going to pay you in Bitcoin," well, you know what? That's it's going to be kind of annoying for you, right? You you can't go to Chick Fil A and pay in Bitcoin. Um, you Not can't yet. go to Target or, or 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 the grocery store and pay in Bitcoin. Um, and the price moves kind of a lot, right? Um, the prices, because Bitcoin's a lot smaller than the U.S. dollar and a lot less entrenched, um, the the price moves um, up and down, and so uh, so people would sort of be confused about that, right? Over time, over the long run, you know, it should keep going up, but day to day, it can be sort of a, it would be sort of like you know jarring, like oh well, Bitcoin was, um, for example, like it was you know it was like sixteen thousand eight hundred yesterday, now it's like seventeen thousand five hundred, right? What what happened? Well, it could go down tomorrow. And, uh, and that's, you know, that people aren't used to that. Um, the other downside is that, uh, you know, with, with, with great power comes great responsibility, right? If you want to realize some of the benefits of Bitcoin and have full control over your Bitcoin, well, that also means that if you make mistakes, if you, um, if you lose your keys, if you get scammed, that Bitcoin's gone. It doesn't come back. It's like cash online, right? So once it's gone, it's gone. Um, whether it's someone lit it on fire or stole it, it's not, there's no one coming to your rescue there. And so, there, there, you know, all of these problems over time, I think we'll solve, we'll, we'll adapt to, but um, it's still a baby, right? Bitcoin's only like 11 years old um, and it's still very much in its infancy. A lot of the infrastructure is still being built out. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's not all, uh, it's not all, um, it's not all perfect. And that's why, that's why there's opportunity. That's why I work in it. That's what makes it fun. So if you had to compare, obviously we don't know the, uh, the end of Bitcoin, but if you had to compare it with, uh, let's say AOL, where we were still basically getting the disc from our distributors, like AOL six internet speed to now, what would you say? And I mean, you can coin it with like. We'll say like MySpace or like some internet event. What would you phrase it with? And like I said, we don't know the end, but yeah, not. sort of on the timeline of the internet. I mean, I would put Bitcoin at like, um, I, I think Bitcoin sort of like uh, 
like maybe Google just came out, right? Okay. Or, or maybe we're still in like the Google's about to come out. There's other search engines like Ask Jeeves. Um, and, you know, people are getting smart about the internet. They're start Kids are starting to use it in the library at school and understand it in a way that their parents don't. Um, but it's not this like force that's just changing humanity um, just yet. Uh, yeah. It's not there yet. I got you. You basically hear about it in school, but your parents don't hear it for about maybe like six years until they watch the 60 minutes on right. Sunday. And you're like, exactly. oh, mom, like I've been doing this for years. Like, what do you mean? You're just hearing about this. Like, yeah, my friends have been using it forever. Exactly. Uh, so last one before our big question. Just give me what your company is doing with El Salvador, because I think what they're doing there is amazing. The, the most amazing thing I love is the volcano that's powering the Bitcoin miners. But obviously, that's like from a five-year-old's point of view. <laughs> yeah, so uh, El Salvador has, an, has a very interesting history. Um, and it has a, also a very interesting relationship with the United States. Um, you know, I think, I think in our generation, sort of, you know, when we were kids, El Salvador was going through a very brutal civil war. Um, and, and, and sort of the, the aftermath of that was just a lot of political instability and crime in the country. And so I think a lot of people in our generation associate El Salvador with, with crime, with, with destitution, with, um, you know, people fleeing and coming to the United States. Um, and, um, and that's changing very quickly. Um, I've been to El Salvador four times in the last year or so. And, um, and El Salvador is, uh, has, has, a, has a new president, um, Nayib Bukele. Uh, he's been there, I think, about two years now, and um, uh, he uh, uh, he he brought into play um, uh, Bitcoin as a secondary mainstream currency in El Salvador. So before this, uh, uh, the dollar, the U.S. dollar, was the only currency in El Salvador, um, and uh, they added Bitcoin as another official currency of the country, um, and it, that that that's a first in world history. Um, no one's ever done that before, uh, and so and if you think about sort of the um the reason for doing something like that and, and what why he did that and what effect it's having um there's a few uh one is you know if you're the united states having the us dollar as your currency is kind of nice it's, it's in fact it's amazing right you can print more of it and you get to keep all that money right the government can fund a lot by just printing more well if you're el salvador you see the us government printing a lot of money your prices go up but you don't get any of that you don't benefit any of that. The money is being, the money being printed isn't spent on you. Um, so uh, you have a little bit of a different perspective when this kind of thing happens. Um, also, you know, your your country is known sort of internationally for being this just destitute backwater with crime, and it's a problem country. And um, and, and he's really single handedly turned that around. So he 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 said. You no, know, like El Salvador is going to be like the Singapore of Central America. We're going to turn this thing around, right? We're going to take this thing from a backwater into a modern, prosperous country. We're going to um, bring in technological advancement, and one of the first steps is we're going to make Bitcoin as one of our currencies, um, and 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 that's going to put us on the map, not as as more than what people think we are, right? We're now like a forward-thinking state. We're more we're more progressive. We're thinking further ahead than the United States, right? We're we're making big changes. Um, and so in many ways, it was a brand thing, right? It, it really like, I, I don't think before this, anyone ever saw a news story about El Salvador that involved anything other than MS-13, right? And that single-handedly changed that. Um, 
And, uh, and you know, so, so what's actually happening on the ground? Well, uh, it, it's pretty fascinating. The reality is, the, the honest truth is, it's not like every single person in the country has adopted Bitcoin overnight as to replace the dollar. That's not, that's not what's happening. Um, the dollar is still by far the predominant currency that everyone knows and uses. It's cultural, right? Um, it's, it's been there forever. So uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's been there. everyone knows the US dollar. You don't change, a, a, you know, people's perception of money overnight, but Bitcoin is growing. Bitcoin is uh, making inroads in the country as people get more comfortable with it, as people learn how to use this thing and get smarter. Um, and it's going to take years for people to, to really get comfortable with that concept. I mean, it's like introducing, you know, when people, people like to criticize El Salvador, oh, no one's using Bitcoin. You know, it's like, it's look how much more people use dollars in Bitcoin. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, imagine introducing a new religion, right? Um, people aren't just going to adopt that overnight, even if it's better than their current religion, right? It's going to take years. For, oh, you know, a few people, a few power, you know, a few really forward thinking people do it over here. And eventually more and more people start to catch on of what, why this might be an interesting way of doing things. And, and so that's where we are. Um, and so what we do is, uh, so everyone in El Salvador has access to this app called Chivo. It's a, it's a US dollar and a Bitcoin wallet. And our system is the back end for um, the, the part of the app that makes it easy to move Bitcoin in and out on something called the Lightning Network. It's like this, it's, the, it's how people um, increasingly use Bitcoin to pay for things. Um, and so that's, that's the system that we maintain and, and we power. And um, we're, we're also serving other apps that are starting to build on our system. Um, and so that's, that's going pretty well. And I'm really excited. And, and actually like, you know, one of my goals was to, was to um, uh, bank a nation state with Bitcoin. And uh, it's pretty wild that we've already done that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Do you have any, oh, I guess you can't talk about that. I was going to ask you if you have any feelers on other countries. I bet you do, but you obviously can't <laughs> talk about that. But yeah, yeah. Um, so if anybody's listening, I wanted to compare this just to make this more realistic. If anybody knows, I can't even pinpoint this, but like, for example, Venmo payments is obviously more recent in the last like eight years, but more popularity. But if people, I'm not a Starbucks person, but you go into Starbucks, you pay with your Starbucks points. It's just like that with Bitcoin. Basically, you're getting equivalent. You can go obviously anywhere they take Bitcoin. It's 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 this it's the same infrastructure. It's a lot easier. Oh, sorry. Well, I was gonna say, but there's one big difference, right? Imagine all of those apps can pay each other, right? And that's what that's what Bitcoin's gonna bring. That's what the Lightning Network, which is sort of this payment faster payment rail on top of Bitcoin, is gonna bring. And that's the future we're bringing into existence where it's not like it's it, it's it's that Venmo still exists, PayPal still exists, Cash App still exists, but they can all pay each other instantly. And you're not stuck in these walled gardens anymore. Money can move freely between all of these companies. That's the future. That's even starting, right? Because Venmo, you can buy Bitcoin, you can buy a couple yeah. other ones. I don't remember which ones, probably Ethereum and some other stuff. But I, Cash App already a... supports Bitcoin. Cash App allows you to send Bitcoin in and out. So if you have a cash app, you can actually pay, you know, uh, is, that on the light, is that on the lightning network? Yeah. Cash app there, is the lightning network. Yeah. There you go. So, so uh, interestingly, right. Um, if you, uh, if you are um, from, from El Salvador, your, your family is, and you're in the U S and you have a cash app, you can pay uh, your grandma on Chivo uh, from cash app with the lightning network. Um, that's awesome. And, that, and that's pretty instantaneous, right? That's like, it's, it's immediate less than a minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's immediate. Yeah. 
So for example, immigrants moving to this country to make more money for their family, to send back money, they don't need to go through Western Union or any of those money payments. All this money is instantaneous. You can send back more rather than having to pay these fees. And the other big point is you can send it whenever you want. You don't have to. Yeah. You can send, it can be midnight or 11 p.m. on Friday and your mother's in San Salvador and she goes, I need, you know, honey, like, you know, I, I, I need $50. Like, can, can you help me out? You can, if you have cash app um, or river or our app, you can uh, send her Bitcoin uh, immediately to Chivo, to her Chivo app. She can turn that into dollars or keep it in Bitcoin, whatever she wants and pay merchants in the country and, and go, go to the drugstore and buy something no matter what time of day. It, it's amazing. We're going to have a, the future is every financial app will be able to pay every other financial app 24 seven globally. That's awesome. That's, that's going to be the hard part, getting all those financial institutions to adopt. It's Eventually a people, they won't have a choice. It's a people problem. It's not a technology problem. Would yeah. you say that? Y- yes. I, for, for the first few, but once a few, once the ball starts rolling, the economic forces kick in. And your users are upset. There you go. You're gonna add it. Well, yeah, they're gonna say, "Hey, I've well, I've got Bitcoin, and I want to." Yeah, exactly. Okay, start with the wrap up questions. This is a two part question. I don't usually ask this because a lot of people don't have their own company. So, where do you see yourself and your company in five years? My me me personally. Um, well, I'd like to be married in five years. I'd like to have a the first. Early start of a family. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time focusing on my career and my, you know, in the first sort of decade of my career. And so personally, I, you know, I see myself sort of in the next phase of my personal life by sort of having responsibilities with with other people there. Um, and professionally, uh, you know, I hope to still be running this company. Uh, I hope that our brand is something that um, is known globally, uh, and, and it's a company that a lot of people have heard of at that point. And we've helped um, millions of people uh, save and, and use Bitcoin when we really helped accelerate. Um, and, you know, when people look at at where Bitcoin is in five years, they they say, you know what, River played a large part in making that happen. Um, and in terms of the size of my company, honestly, I hope it's not too much bigger and from a from a headcount perspective than it is today. Uh, you know, right now we're about 40, maybe maybe a hundred by then. I, I, I sort of have this saying, you know, like more people, more problems. Um, You're not I, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a, there's a huge coordination costs that come with adding people to a company. And um, I, I, I sort of have this theory that as technology advances um, you know, I just want a company, a small, a, a, a small group of people really, really good at using technology in the most optimal way possible to grow to grow our revenues and grow our business. And and we can do a lot with a few people, but just a small number of smart people. So that's my goal is to have a really high revenue per headcount company. Basically a very trim, like it's, this sounds so old, but trim the fat basically, but never, never have the fat. Yeah. Every, every person is just really high caliber and um, provides a lot of value to the organization, um, knows how to automate things away and get computers to do the things that humans shouldn't really be doing. Yeah, I like it. Okay, last question. 
what is something that your parents did that you'd like to pass on to the next generation? And what's something that you might do differently or something that you'd like to add on that maybe your parents didn't do? So one thing when I look back at what my parents did of the many things they did that really, really helped me in, in my life. One of the most formative ones was um, uh, sort of guiding me towards activities that had me going door to door. Um, I did a number of things growing up. Uh, I, I had a lawn mowing business. I sold vegetables from our garden door to door. I sold Boy Scout popcorn door to door. Um, I was talking to adults and trying to sell things um, or trying to, you, you know, like sort of be entrepreneurial at a very early age. And when I, when I, um, and, and that's helped me tremendously. I know how to sit in a room and sell something. I know how to sell my company, which to, to raise money, to get convince an investor that this is a good idea, right? Or to talk to a, to, to a client and convince them to use my business. Um, having that experience and just having that in an early age and uh, starting to sell things when you're a kid and everyone kind of just likes you because you're a kid, it starts to build your confidence. So, you, you know, it's it's kind of harder to start when you're older learning those skills. Um, that's one that I'm definitely going to do with my kids. And before you start on the second part, can I tell you, I completely agree with the Boy Scout part because I was also an Eagle Scout. And I, I just assume you're an Eagle Scout. I'm not even going to ask you. Boy Scout popcorn is the hardest thing to sell because you look like trash compared to Girl Scouts. And you're 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 selling cheese popcorn. You're selling like absolutely. You're, you're selling unpopped popcorn too at some point. And you're like, people avoid Girl Scouts at at like grocery stores because they buy too many. Yeah, but they avoid Boy Scouts at grocery stores because they don't want to buy popcorn. I'll, I'll right. tell everybody. Like, what that. am I gonna do with this popcorn? <laughs> because I ha I had the same issue with going door to door with popcorn. No, nobody wants to buy it. But like you said, like you're you're a child. That's why they're buying this popcorn. Um, so sorry, but, but sometimes you get no's and, and that, that's how you learn rejection. You're like, oh, oh yeah, that's the best on. part. Yeah, that's like that's, the you just keep going. Tempering the steel. That's what I feel like. Mm -hmm. Uh your your second part, sir. Yeah, well, so what's something my parents, you know, didn't that didn't do that I'll avoid? You know, I, I think it's more sort of like a it's just a generational thing. The times have changed. I think one of the things I'm um, you know, when I when I was younger, we didn't um we traveled like every, you know, every few years we take a vacation and take like a regional road trip right somewhere like maybe Tennessee or something like that um I would I would love to you know a few times you know I don't want to spoil my kids but um take them maybe somewhere international uh at an earlier age right expose them to um to, to maybe like do something to inspire them to learn a language earlier right I remember growing up for me like I was like why would I you know like in high school it's like oh we got to take Spanish or something I was like what I don't even know Spanish for like, what am I ever going to use this for? Like, you know, all the kids, all the Hispanic kids we go to school with, they all speak English. Like what, what do I need to learn Spanish for? And now that I'm older, I'm like, man, I wish I'd really learned Spanish. Like it's such a great language. And you know, when I'm in Spain or Argentina, like I, I really wish I could like not feel like such an outsider. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe giving like being able to sort of like give, like give a little inspiration there for my kids, I think would be nice. Um, not that I fault my parents at all. I, they, they did encourage me to take language. Yeah. It's just sort of, I didn't really have anything to put it into context with. Yeah. I feel like when you're younger, you can just absorb a lot more, especially language. But I, I bless anyone who can learn language at our age. Like, obviously, immersion is a, a whole different level. But when you're in the U.S. or not in the native country, it's just so much more difficult to kind of absorb absorb that. 
yeah, definitely. Is there anything you want to promote? Well, um, I think I think the you know I just want to say if, if anyone is interested in learning more about Bitcoin, we have great resources on River.com. We have a great excuse me a learning section uh, that teaches you all the basics. Even if you're skeptical, uh, you can you can go figure out reasons Bitcoin is a bad idea there. Uh, and um, you know if, if you're at all interested in, in, in getting started or taking even a baby step, like like Michael said, you can buy just ten dollars of Bitcoin if you want to just get started little bits. So if you set up what we call a, you know a recurring buy or a dollar cost average like that, um, after the first week of that transaction, there's no fees at all. Um, so it's really That's the perfect. cost effective way to accumulate Bitcoin if you're interested. Um, we'd be more than happy to help you. Uh, we have a really we've, we're known for a great. Uh, client services. And um, so river.com is, is is your place to go. If you have any interest in Bitcoin, we'd be happy to help. Well, thank you very much, sir. So. Well, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Uh, it was a fun conversation. I hope it was the funnest one you've you've had because you've had a lot of them. It was because- No, usually... you don't need to say that because you're going to upset everybody else. So, <laughs> Well, they're usually all like, you know, you know, everyone's in the, the Bitcoin industry. This is the first podcast I've done where it was actually like, you know, someone from outside interviewing me. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was fun. And who doesn't like a good Theodore Roosevelt bashing, right? Fra uh, Franklin. Did I get? I, <laughs> I thought I. I th I'm more of a. I'm 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 more amenable to Teddy. Ah, uh, um, thank you. But uh, but uh, yeah. Um, no, it, it was fun. Uh, fun Wednesday night. Fun Wednesday night. Wine Wednesday. Yeah, it was a fine fun wine Wednesday. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.